You're listening to the First Baptist Rockdale Sunday Sermons Podcast. First Baptist Rockdale is a church dedicated to making disciples who make disciples. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Uh, We're going to take a a, a jaunt through the book of Ruth uh, together. So uh, before Easter time gets here, uh, we're going to do a little looking at one of the shorter books in the Bible. The book of Ruth uh, is tucked away neatly right after the book of Judges. So if you've got your Bible and you go Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, you get this little four-chapter book called Ruth right there. Then you start getting the first and second. So the way our, our, our family... You know, when you grow up in a preacher's family, you play Bible 20 questions in the car. It's what you have to do. Um, by the way, if you want to play Bible 20 questions with me at any time, you just let me know. You can text it with me. I'll text with you, and we'll play Bible 20 questions through text message. I don't care. Uh, we play Bible 20 questions, uh, and, and one of the things that we do is you've you got to narrow down what book of the Bible the person, typically it's the person is from. Uh, and so, you know, we're like, is it in the histories? And that's like the books from Joshua uh, I don't know, through Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther. Um, and so through that section there of your Bible, uh, and you're like, yes. And then the next question is, is it one of the first and seconds? Uh, Ruth is right before the first and second start. First and second Samuel, first and second Kings, first and second Chronicles. Um, we find this book of Ruth. Ruth is, a, is an interesting little book um, in that it, it tends to read almost like a, a little brief romance novel, uh, just, just kind of like just tucked right in the middle of our Bible. Um, which it's odd, right? Now, some of you might really enjoy the Amish romance novels or something like that, some period piece romance novels. You may really enjoy those. Um, but as a, like a, a dude, it's never, that's never been my thing. I'm not that interested in that. Um, but the book of Ruth has some very compelling teaching about who God is uh, and God's providential way of moving his, his purposes forward. And so we're going to look at that over the next, I don't know, three or four weeks and, and just kind of enjoy what God has to say in there. So Ruth chapter 1 is where we'll be today. Uh, And this is what what it says. It says, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi. The name of his two sons were Malon and Chilion, and they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there, but Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. And these took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. And they lived there about ten years. And both uh, Malon and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Okay, so the story of Ruth begins telling you about some tragedies that have taken place. The first tragedy that takes place is the timing of the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth says right there at the very beginning, in the days when the judges ruled, right? Verse 1 of chapter 1. And if you haven't read the book of Judges recently, I'm going to give you just a brief overview of what's going on in the book of Judges. Uh, It starts out, and everyone's pretty good and loving God, and then all of a sudden, for some reason, usually because good times can lead to uh, sin and to self-confidence, the country falls into sin and idolatry. And then after it falls into sin and idolatry, um, they, get in, they, get, they get oppressed. Someone conquers them. It could be Philistines. It could be the Amalekites. Or it could be anybody. They get conquered by somebody. Uh, and then after they're conquered, they cry out to God. And they say, God, deliver us from this uh, oppressor that we're under. And God hears their cry. He raises up a judge 
These were the Samsons and the Gideons and the Barak's and Deborah's, uh, Jephthah's, Ehud. Um, I love the story of Ehud, by the way. It's one of my favorite judges. Just a brief story of Ehud because I enjoy it so much. Uh, Ehud is a judge, uh, and there's a, a king who's kind of like ruling over them uh, named Eglon. Eglon is morbidly obese. That's how we would know him today. Uh, this has nothing to do with Ruth. It's just a good story. Uh, and, and so uh, Ehud is raised up to deliver the people of Israel from this, this king uh, named Eglon. And he goes in, and they, they meet with him to pay him tribute. And then they all leave, and as they're leaving, Ehud's like, hey, I have one more thing to tell you. And the king's like, yes. He's like, but it's kind of a private matter. And so the king's like, everyone get out of here. i got to talk to Ehud together. And the Bible tells us Ehud is a left-handed man. I don't know why, uh, but that's just a fun fact as well. Okay. Uh, and so then Ehud uh, goes in there, and he, he, he reaches over to the king, and uh, being a left-handed man, grabs a dagger off his right thigh, thrusts it into the, the, the morbidly obese king's stomach so that the folds of the fat fold over his hand, and then he pulls out his hand, leaving the sword dagger inside of him, and he dies. I love that story. I don't know why. I just he, Then he locks the door and jumps out the window and runs away, and then everyone assumes that the king is going to the bathroom because that's what kings do in the quiet and cold part of their rooms. And so they leave him there until they're embarrassed. And then they go and be like, oh, no, he's dead. Okay, so that's the story of Ehud. But they've got back to Judges. God raises up a deliverer like Ehud. Um, and he delivers them from the king or the oppressor. And then the people all celebrate and they're all good. And then they do it again. They fall into the same cycle. And it's a cycle that goes over and over and over again. Anytime you read the book of Judges, it's like reading the same story with kind of different details over and over and over again. It's like watching... Uh, an episode of PJ Masks. Is there any parents out there who had to watch PJ Masks before? It is literally the same show every single time. I think there's no creativity at all, right? It's just the exact same show. I mean, they start off and they're like, oh, I'm going to be selfish today. And I'm like, I wonder what the problem in this episode is going to be. It's the same show over and over. Judges is that. It's just the same story over and over again. But the problem with Judges is it's not really a cycle as much as it's a spiral. And so they, every time a judge is raised up, the country is deeper and deeper and deeper in sin. And every re- repentance they have brings them up a little bit, and then they continue to go deeper down this well. And so the book of Ruth is written near the end of the time of the judges. And what's going on in the nation of Israel right now is it is a dark place. The end of the book of Judges, if you, if you get to the very end of the book of the Judges, it says there was no king over Israel, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That's, that's kind of the, the closing refrain in the book of Judges. And Ruth comes right out of that time period when everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes, not what was right in God's eyes, but what they felt was right for them in that moment. And it was a dark time. Uh, there was 12 tribes in Israel. At the end of the book of Judges, they almost exterminated one-twelfth of the tribes of Israel. An entire tribe was, was like this close to being fully annihilated um, by, by some, some, some sin that had taken place that caused for their, their extermination. Right? It is a dark time. So the first tragedy in the book of Ruth is when it took place. This was not a happy time. This was not an optimistic time. This was not a forward time for the nation. This was a tough season. 
And, and it would always involve cycles of going down and deeper and deeper into sin. And then the second tragedy is that it takes place during a famine, during this already tough time. And so they leave the promised land where God had told them to be. And they go to the neighboring country of Moab. Uh, and, and they go there. Or Naomi goes there with uh, her husband, uh, Elimelech. And they go there and they think, we're going to set up shop here. We'll wait for the famine to be done. And as soon as she gets there with her two sons and her husband, her husband is dead. And now she's widowed in a foreign land with two sons. The sons are obviously almost adults, if not already adults, because they promptly marry two Moabite women, um, Orpah and Ruth. Um, Orpah looks a lot like Oprah, right? If you just read it quickly, you're going to want to say Oprah. Um, You have Orpah and you have Ruth. Uh, and they marry these two women, which is, in a lot of ways, a tragedy as well. Um, the nation of Israel was called to be pure, was called to uh, marry inside of its own people, to avoid uh, idolatry and false worship of other gods. Uh, and so this was a tragedy as well uh, for Naomi and her family. And then, to cap it all off, after like a period of ten years, like her two sons just died. We don't know how they died, right? Well, I don't know. We don't know the story. We don't know any of the reasons because it's not important. What's important is that they're now gone as well. And this woman, Naomi's life, has just become just a series of tragedies, one after another, after another, after another. Now she's widowed, bereaved of her only two sons, has two daughter-in-laws uh, in a foreign country in a time when it's tough to be alive anyways. And then, verse 6 says, she arose with her daughters-in-laws to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard the fields of, uh, in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So the famine was over. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-laws, and they went on their way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her daughter-in-laws, Go return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her, of her husband. And then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way. For I am too old to have a husband. And if I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and bear sons, would you therefore wait till they're grown? Would you refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it's exceedingly bitter for me, uh, to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. All right, so here's, here's what's going on. They're heading home. So Naomi's home. And Naomi's looking at what she's bringing back to Judah, these two Moabite women who, who she has no future for. And she says, go home. Like, whatever God is doing to me, the, the punishment that I have been, been walking through these last ten years, right, God, you need to go experience something away from me. The Lord has been bitter to me. He has dealt with me cruelly over these last ten years. Go home to your mother's house, find yourself another husband, find some bit of joy in this life, because it's not going to be around me. And these women both love their mother-in-law. It's weird how much they love 
their mother-in-law. Y'all could learn something about that out there, those of you who have mother-in-laws in the room here, right? Uh, right, right. How, how, how wonderful a blessing that is. My wife has, has ran out with the baby, so, so just tell her, like I said, great things about her mom, okay, when she asks, okay? Um, but, you know, like, like the, the love they have for their mother-in-law is genuine. Both of them, this, this Orpah lady and Ruth both, have a genuine love for her, and they, and, they, and they plead with her, no, don't send us away. Right, we'll go with you. Right, we're here for you. We want to support you. We want to be there through, through, through this time in your life. But as she reasons with them, she says, look, I have nothing for you. There is no future with me. I have no sons. I have no prospects. And even if I had a prospect to get married today, and I happened to get pregnant today, and I had a son today, like you're still 18, 20, 30 years away from marrying them, do you really want to wait that long? Do you really want to refrain for that long? No, go. And so Orpah uh, embraces her mother, kisses her, her mother-in-law, and heads back home. But the Bible says Ruth clung to her. And there's a difference in these two ladies here. And I'm not here to, to down Orpah, because I think Orpah was a woman of pretty great commitment to her mother-in-law. Right. She, she had a commitment to her. But I think there's, a, there's something about where, where people come into our lives for a season. Right? You've probably had relationships like this before, where someone just comes in for a season, uh, and they can be near and dear to you, they can walk through your life's troubles with you, or they can walk through victories with you, and then, the, and then that season is done. Maybe you moved, maybe they moved, maybe some, some major life change happened in your lives. And there's just this growing apart that takes place. I can look back at some of the people um, that I would refer to as my best friends. My best friend 15 years ago is a guy that I barely talk to today. It's not that I don't love him. It's not that I don't care for him and his family. It's not that I have ill will towards him or he has ill will towards me. It's just that our lives diverged when I moved to Kingwood. And now I've diverged further as I've been here for the last seven years. Our lives have just wandered Apart, There's a season that uh, some people are in our lives. And guys, if that's where you are right now, if you have someone who's, who's left your life at the end of a season, right, instead of being bitter towards that, right, which was kind of Naomi's theme, by the way, is she's a bitter woman so much so that she's going to ask people not to call her Naomi anymore, just call me bitter, um, right, right? Don't be bitter about people who come and go from your life for a season. Right, just be thankful to God that you had them for that season. Right? Naomi could look back in fondness about Orpah's relationship with her. There's a thing where people come and go. Right? And most people, most relationships that you have are temporary. Right? That's why Ruth's like, weird decoration that we're about to talk to right now is so weird. Like, it's so countercultural. It's so opposed to most friendships. Because most friendships, most relationships on this side of eternity are, are temporary. We need to learn to celebrate the temporary relationships we have, not judge people because temporary relationships change, and then move forward uh, towards whatever God has for you today in front of you. But what Ruth does is something totally different, starting in verse 15. And she said, or Naomi's speaking right now, she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth replied, she said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do, to, uh, do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said 
no more. I love this thing. This is, this is one of those verses that's used in marriage ceremonies. It's kind of weird because like, this is like a mother-in-law and a daughter-in-law uh, having a conversation here. But the commitment level that Ruth demonstrates right, to, to, to her mother-in-law, the commitment level that she demonstrates there is a marriage-level commitment. Right? This is the commitment that says, like, I'm with you through whatever life is going to have, and I'm going to go wherever you go, and where you sleep, I'm going to sleep, and where you die, I'm going to die, and when they, where they bury you, that's where I'm going to be buried too. Right? And the only thing that's going to part the two of us, even temporarily, is death itself. It is the marriage vow that we claim today. Right? When I do marriage counseling, uh, premarital counseling, and marriage counseling, I do this in both, but, but when I do premarital counseling, I take like a whole time talking about the marriage vows. And marriage vows are beautiful. Right? People, well, not TV marriage. TV marriage vows are terrible. Have I talked about this before? TV marriage vows are the worst. Right? Like, you make me happy. And I'm so lucky to have you. And I'm like, what are you vowing? It's just like statements of like how you feel right now. Like, that person's going to make you miserable. You know who's made me more miserable than anyone else in the world? She's still not in here, so I'm good. It's Danielle Higginbotham. The person who's made me most miserable in the whole world. It's not a bad boss. I've had bad bosses before, and they made my life terrible. But you know what? At the end of the day, I leave my bad boss, and I go home. When my wife is making my life terrible, you know what? I go to work, but I still have to go home to her. Right? When life is... No one has hurt me as deeply as Daniel. And by the way, that, that mirror, like if she was up here talking, which I don't let her do, but if she was, she would say the same thing. Like that it's me. Right? That, that, that person, they, 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 the nearest to you can, can hurt you the deepest. Right? And, and it's like these marriage vows on TV are so terrible. Like you make me happy so I want to be with you. They're going to make you angry. Are you going to not want to be with them? And the answer is yes. Yes, look at marriage today, right? Like, you made me angry. I don't want to be with you anymore. Like, you, you made me frustrated. I don't want to be married anymore. You're selfish. Of course they're selfish. They've been selfish the whole time. They're terrible. Right? So, so a good marriage vow, though, though, a good marriage vow, the only marriage vows I'm willing to do as a pastor, they read like this. It's like one sentence. It's very complex, but it basically says this. It says, I, I, you're the subject, you, whoever's speaking, I, Take, that's the verb, I take, I'm going to take you, you're the object of the verb, that's a direct object I think, right? I take you to be my whatever, wife or husband, depending on the gender of the person standing in front of me and the gender that they're married. So I take you to be my spouse. And there's a bunch of things, right? In this and that and this and that and this. And really it all comes down to this, no matter what. I take you to be my spouse no matter what. That's the vow. That's the promise. It's long, it takes a while to repeat after me. Uh, you may stumble over the words when the preacher is going back and forth with you. But if you had a good marriage vow, once upon a time, you said, I take you to be mine forever, no matter what. And then we start to negotiate on no matter what later on in our marriage. You're 20 years into it, we're like, whoa, now no matter what. I don't know about that. I, Janet, Janet's also down the hall. So one of my favorite stories that Janet Vaughn has shared is about uh, Mary Ann Talley. And Mary Ann Talley was a church member here. Uh, married to JT for a long time, and 
Jack Telf, the pastor before him, was preaching something similar about marriage or whatever. And it's not about marriage, it's for life, and it's a commitment forever. Uh, and she leaned over to Janet, and she said these words. She said, I knew marriage was till death do us part, but I didn't know Tally was going to live this long. Right? Some of us, <laughs> some of us feel that way, right? Right? Looking over at the person next to me like, yeah, maybe you should have another steak. Oh, that seems like a good idea. Let's slow down the length of however long life can be. Right, But marriage is, is this picture of, I'm going to take you to be mine no matter what. And that's why we love the story of Ruth. Because Ruth looks at her mother-in-law. She's not a marriage commitment, but the level of commitment she has to her is identical to what an ideal marriage commitment is. And she says, look, I don't care where life is supposed to go. And I don't care about the damage that's been done and the tragedies that have befell us already. What I care about is that I'm with you no matter what. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow you, I'm going to worship with you, and I'm going to die with you because I have decided that I'm going I'm I'm to pitch my life with yours. That is a unique relationship. In fact, in most of our relationships, it's limited to, to, to marriage. And for some of our marriages, we don't even experience it there. Tragic as that is. Some of us will never taste that degree of, of, of faithfulness and commitment in a friend. Some of you might have actual friends, though, you've walked through that, like, like regular friends, people that you've been with for a long time, and you know that wherever you go, they're going to go with you, right? You're thick as thieves. Wherever you, wherever you go, you'll go. Or you, and when you all die, that will be the only thing that will end that relationship. But what Ruth's level of commitment is doing there is pointing us beyond her towards God. Right? It's, this isn't a story about a, a daughter-in-law being just a, a better daughter-in-law than another one. It's not a competition why Ruth is better than Orpah. Right? It's really, really a story about showing how God's love is like Ruth's love for Naomi. And the whole story as it goes forward is going to show us how Ruth demonstrates love for Naomi and how that points us towards just a shadowy picture of the great and perfect love that God has for us. You know, you know that you're loved by the creator of the universe? And I mean that like, like he loves you. And you can go in a lot of places and you can live your life through all sorts of tragedies and bad decisions. And some of you have made some really whopper of bad decisions. Right? I mean, like, we could write books about how bad your decision making has been. Right? Mine, mine would be quite lengthy of all the bad choices I've made in my life. But God still, right, 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 still loves us. Right? While we were sinners, Christ died for us. You know, greater love hath no other than that he would lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus says, and you are my friends. Right? God loves you. And when we look at Ruth's love, and we're like, oh my goodness, a daughter-in-law who cares so much about this poor, bereaved, suffering mother-in-law, it points our eyes towards a better love than that. Right? A better love. And a love that isn't limited to some lucky people. Like, oh, Naomi hit the jackpot. She happened to have Ruth in her life. She's so fortunate that she has Ruth in her life. What a lucky lady Naomi is. No, we're all that lucky person. Because through the the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the love of God has been made manifest to the entirety of mankind. 
to every single soul who's ever walked the earth from the year that Christ came, the love of God has been made manifest for those who would believe and experience that. It's this, it's this amazingly monumental gift. And it's there for you. And so when you read this, you're like, oh, the love that she has is just a shadow of the love that God has for you. Because you were a wayward sinner. Maybe today you are that wayward sinner. Maybe you've wandered down the path far from where you're supposed to be, and your life is this tragedy upon tragedy upon tragedy, and it's self-inflicted tragedies. Right? We don't know what happened to Naomi to cause all the tragedy in her life, but you know the story of tragedy in your life is sometimes very much self-inflicted. Right? Most of the, the, the ugliest messes that I found myself in my life are fully my fault. I just, I just make dumb choices. I choose sin. And when I do that, I invite the wrath of God, the consequences for a life that, that's in rebellion to God. And maybe you're living tragedy upon tragedy like Naomi was living tragedy upon tragedy. And then God shows up and he says, I'm for you. I'm not for what you're doing. I'm not in favor of the life that you're living. I'm not washing all of that away and baptizing your sin and calling it righteousness. But I'm for you. I love you. And I'm going to travel with you through the dark times of your life to point you back towards the perfect love. That's seen in the face of Jesus Christ. Guys, you're, you're, not, you're not too far from God, even if you've made that path. And it's, it ends here in verse, verse uh, 19 through 22. It says, So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And they came to Bethlehem. The whole town was stirred because they said, Look, uh, is this Naomi? And she said to them, Look, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, which means bitter. For the Lord Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? Uh, which means pleasant, uh, when the Lord has testified excuse me, against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, uh, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. As the story leads us to this, this, this like kind of final brooding part for Naomi, where, where she's like, look, my, I was pleasant when I left, and I'm bitter now. I've been bereaved over and over again. And she doesn't recognize she doesn't see what God is about to do. At all she sees is the situation she's in right now, that she's lost a husband, she's lost two sons, uh, and now she has a daughter-in-law in tow who has this weird proclamation of love for her. She doesn't see what God's about to do through her. Right? And where, where this story goes, just so you know, is it points directly to Jesus. This is why this made it in the Bible, by the way, unlike every other romance story in the Bible, uh, Bible times, right? because it points directly to Jesus. Because one day... Uh, Naomi's going to meet a man. She's going to get married. To the, or Ruth's going to meet a man. She's going to get married to this man. This man's going to have a kid. That man, that kid's going to have a kid, and that kid's going to have a kid, and that kid's name is David. And David, track back down, leads us directly to Jesus Christ. Guys, the story of Ruth is a story about the incarnation coming slowly. It's a story of oh, just regular obedience, and how God takes regular obedience. And does supernatural things. Uh, but, but it starts with a story of love demonstrated. Love is demonstrated through faithfulness, through hard times. Uh, guys, and I don't know where you've been. I don't know all the hard choices that you've had to walk through. But I know this, that, that you are loved now 
by the God of the universe. And you may not have a Ruth with you. You may not have a, a friend to stand by you. You might not have a spouse who's made that commitment to be with you. Instead, they're, they're constantly throwing out, well, if you don't do this, then I'm going to leave you. or I'm gonna, right? you, may, you may not have that level of commitment in any human relationship in your life. But if you are known by God, if you, are, if you have made uh, Christ your Lord, if you've sacrificed your will to the will of God, then you are loved by the God of the universe. And His love is not occasional. And His commitment doesn't waver. His love is eternal, and His commitment is faithful. Guys, He's faithful to you, because He cares for you. And you may, be, you may be wandering in sin, and you may feel like there's no chance that God still loves you. Prodigal Son story tells you something different. Even in sin, God still loves. Now, I hope if you're wandering in sin, you experience all the full judgment of God in this season. I really do. I pray that for people sometimes, that you would just experience the, the fruit of your unrighteousness. Because through that, repentance is a, a lot easier. It's a lot easier to bottom out and to experience the wrath of God and be like, oh my goodness. But if you're just living your life today and you feel a little isolated, and life has been tragedy upon tragedy, I want you to know there's God out there who cares for you. But trials reveal the depths of, of, of other people's love for us, right? Orpah's love for, for, for her mother-in-law uh, was, was, was great, but still somewhat conditional, right? And as trials continued and as pleading continued, she was able to be compelled to go somewhere else. She was compelled to leave uh, her mother-in-law. But Ruth's love for her models the same love that Jesus has for us, that God has for us, right? And it's not conditional, and trials reveal the strength of that love and that, that, that there's nothing, right? No height, no depth, no powers can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Your love today. If you don't know that love, I want to introduce you to that Jesus. That, that you can be loved, that you can be supported, that you can have someone to stand alongside of you. We're going to have an invitation in a moment for that. Let's pray.